Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 176. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. And as always, I'm joined by the lovely Phil from Next Step Test Prep. And today we're going to continue our deep dive into the psych soch section, going through the AAMC outline. Phil, back for some more MCAT Podcasts. How are you doing today? Good, good. It's a new decade. You know, we're showing our, <laughs> our time here a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's good to be uh, in the new year, having lots of students that are looking to, you know, like thinking ahead for taking the exam. I actually had a bunch of students taking the exam in the last couple of weeks as well. So it's been a little bit of chaos in the last chunk of time, but the good kind of chaos, right? Yeah. You stress, good stress. You, you stress, not distress, you stress. Right. Let's talk about that briefly for a second. The, the students who are listening to this, who are still maybe a year or two out from taking the MCAT, why take a January test versus more time to study March or April and take it then? Well, there's definitely some big things with your like your personal timeline. Um, I made some big mistakes personally when I was prepping for the MCAT and the semester that I took the MCAT was also the most difficult semester of my undergrad career. And that was, that was not wise. I should have, you know, kind of like thought ahead a little bit better. So, you know, I took my test in, uh, I think it was April um, of my junior year and it would have made, made much more sense for me to take it in January and like been prepping, you know, in the fall semester when my life was a little bit less chaotic. Okay. I think that's one of the big things. Other things is you just have more time if you need to retake it. Um, you know, nobody wants to talk about that scenario of like, Oh crap, <laughs> I need to do this again. <laughs> but yeah, you have a little bit more flexibility. You have a little bit more control, um, under that case. But if you tend to be a procrastinator and putting things off, that's, you know, shooting for an early test date, you know, I, I, I've known students that have been a little bit of procrastinators. And so they know if they like shoot for the January, they're going to end up pushing it back over time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden their MCAT prep is lasting like a year. 
And that's maybe not the best thing for them. Ouch. I think a lot of people look at January and go, well, I'll just study over the winter break. That's, that'll be my MCAT prep. Do you think that's a viable, like, I don't know how long winter break is nowadays at schools, but it just doesn't seem long enough to me. Not long enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> not not even close. Um, it, this is something that I think a lot of students don't really underestimate, or they don't really understand. They tend to underestimate. Um, one of my favorite interactions with a student in this vein was a student who came to me and they're like, I just took biochem last semester. That was really time intensive. Studying for the MCAT should be like that. And I'm like, <laughs> no, right? It's It's like... It's like taking a whole other entire semester, probably your hardest semester on top of your classes. Um, and so I think that just given the volume of information that the winter break is not enough. And that's that's on purpose. The MCAT is trying to see who can deal with huge volumes of information. And, and that takes time. Um, the reason they're testing that is because that's what you need to do in order to like do well in med school. And in order to be a good doctor, you need to be able to deal with huge, giant volumes of information. And so going into, you know, prepping for the MCAT, you're going to be prepping for, for like, a larger amount of information than you've probably ever tried to cram into your head at any one point. Um, and like not even close, like vastly different. Yeah. So imagine trying to cram, you know, one, maybe two heavy semesters worth of information into your head. And one month is just not enough time. Definitely not. All right. Well, let's continue on our kind of double AMC breakdown of, um, Kind of what's on the MCAT, their, their outline of what's on the MCAT. We've been covering a lot of that. Students seem to like it. We're on content category 9A, and a link to this will be in the, the blog post in the description as well. Yeah, 9A is kind of a big one, so there's a little bit more information in there than what we talked about last time. And so I just thought we would hit some of the high notes um, in here. We, we kind of we're, we're talking a little bit before, it's like, oh, do we talk about religion? Is that, is that something that we're supposed to do on a podcast? But um, something that's on the MCAT is they're testing your knowledge of like definitions of like what is a religion what makes a sect versus a cult mm -hmm. um not that we're going to be like you know advocating or you know proselytizing that sort of thing but yeah so you know speaking of which we can kind of just jump in the first thing is just talking about the types of religious organizations we have like a church a sect and a cult and the mcat is trying to look for the the boundaries and the lines between those um this is kind of a fun thing so ryan what, what would you say is the difference between a church, a sect, and a cult? Oh, man. Um, a church, a sect, and a cult. I, I would say varying levels of, um, oh, what's the word? Um, passion. <laughs> Although that's not, that's not the right word. Um, yeah. I don't know. Kind of. Like there is, it is, it is all about just this varying levels of usually it's the way society views it. It's actually something really interesting. The difference between a cult and a church, I have to be really care very careful here from the inside. It's not all that different um, always, but mm -hmm. it's, it's the difference between these definitions from the AAMC has to do with how society views them. So a church is something that is accepted by society and incorporated into society. It's, you know, like it's a part of the fabric uh, that this makes up the societal life versus a sect is something that is culturally accepted, societally accepted, but it's not really incorporated. And so I think of things like, you know, an Amish community, a lot of times they're not like super 
you know, you're not gonna, you're not going to run into them on Instagram. And so they're not like meshed into the cultural fabric, but like nobody, at least for the most part, nobody has a problem with the Amish, right? Like the Amish are fine. They're great, right? There's no problems with this versus a cult. This is not socially accepted or incorporated into society. And so this is something that is kind of off on its own, kind of like the society kind of views this and looks at it and kind of frowns on it. Um, so it kind of creates this really interesting scenario that if a cult just got big enough, now it has to become a part of society. And so that makes it kind of a church all of a sudden. And so size does kind of like play into this as well. You know, if, if something, if like 50% of the population is this like religious um, organization that can't really be a cult because it's so large that it has to be kind of incorporated into society. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So another term in this kind of like list here is medicalization. And this is looking at things through kind of a medical view. And this, I'm not talking about like, you know, how doctors see everybody, but I'm talking about how there are some things that today we consider disorders and diseases and illnesses that, you know, 80 years ago, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the predominant examples of this is like ADHD or ADD. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back to like, you know, our founding fathers, I don't think they were, you know, like worried about their kid being ADHD. Um, it's just like, Oh, my kid's a spaz. Right. And like now, now we kind of like view this a little bit differently. And there's, we've, we've medicalized the scenario. You can also demedicalize. Is there, can you think of anything that we've like turned down the medicalization of? Um, I don't know. I have a very negative outlook on this. I think we <laughs> medicalize everything. It's like, oh, let's make a pill for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And there are a lot of things. Alcoholism is another example that like, you know, 200 years ago, we didn't necessarily view this as a disease or an illness. Um, but demedicalization, one of the like few examples I can think of is like homosexuality. Mm. Right. Um, and that used to be something that people would get treated for and like, you know, yeah. you would be diagnosed by having some sort yeah. of like disorder. Hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> Women exactly. hysteria. hysteria. Yeah. 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 She, they're hysterical. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that is another example there, like hysteria and like homosexuality and like there's like some sexual deviances that, you know, maybe once upon a time would have been considered like uh, a disorder or disease and maybe now aren't so much. Okay. So other things, um, culture lag kind of getting into the realms of culture is like everything else that we have here to talk about. It's called cultural lag. This is the idea that society like technologically moves faster than people do. And so the like technology of a society develops quicker and we don't really know how to deal with this. Um, so like the, the best example I can come up with is, um, you know, like Facebook and its influence on elections. Right. And this is a big problem that we have now, but society doesn't really know how to deal with this or especially like, you know, five years ago, we didn't, um, you know, there's been a lot more kind of like spotlight on it recently, but just this idea that technology moves faster than people understand and society can keep up with it. I I think something that factors largely into this is that a lot of our, you know, lawmakers and that sort of thing, you know, don't have an email address or something like don't know, don't know how to check their email or send an email. Um, so as a result, a lot of our rules and laws and society on at large just isn't 
prepared and doesn't understand the role that technology can make in society. And so we all lag behind. So it's a, it's a the culture is lagging behind what's technically possible. Mm. Um, and so this is where cultural lag comes in. Well, how are these going to show up on the MCAT? So especially with medicalization, um, they're not going to like trip and like tread on stuff that is very, um, you know, like on the fence or things that people are going to have disagreements on. Uh, medicalization is going to be talking about something and and like seeing if people get kind of confused because there's also the, like the biomedical approach or the biopsychosocial approach to treating a disease, mm-hmm. right? Like the biomedical approach is to like, it's something like biologically wrong and you want to give pills and you want to do stuff like that and kind of like fix the chemistry um, versus a biopsychosocial is more on, you look at this as like, okay, like therapy and kind of like the psychological, sociological kind of like interactions there are the best way to treat this. Um, and both obviously have their, their places. Um, like both of them have been successful in certain, you know, disorders and treatments. Um, I think a lot of people want to like, obviously like push a little bit more towards the biopsychosocial. That's something that's trickier in society because a pill is cheaper than therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. once a week. Um, so that's one of the things that's actually kind of a boundary for the, the lower class. Sometimes they have trouble finding doctors who can take this like biopsychosocial approach. But so if somebody like says like, Oh, this doctor looks at this and like, I need to treat this with medicine. Right. That is not medicalization. Medicalization is like viewing things as a disease that maybe we didn't view as diseases before. Mm. And so I could see like those two terms, like the the biomedical approach to disease and then medicalization, very easy to get tripped up because they're obviously very related. Mm-hmm. Um, the church sect cult, they're going to give you some example, and those are going to be three of your answer choices. You just have to figure out which one it is, right? Is this a church, a sect, a cult? And then they'll have some fourth answer choice that is some red herring um, kind of like thrown in there. Yeah. The culture stuff, there's a lot of of culture things that are easy to kind of mixed up. Culture lag is this kind of like weird technologically focused one, um, but it doesn't say anything about tech in the name with culture lag. And so it's really easy. Like if, if you haven't studied this, there's no way for you to know that culture lag is actually something focusing on how technology moves. Um, now, some other cultural things are like cultural <laughs> transmission. Cul- culture lag, as you're talking about that, all, all I hear in my head is, okay, boomer, right? Yeah, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly That's cultural lag. Oh, that's that's funny. <laughs> um, I, I, I am lagging a little bit behind like society and a little bit. That co- okay, boomer thing is a relatively new thing to me personally. <laughs> um, so, um, cultural transmission and diffusion. This is something I'm actually really interested in. Um, specifically, Ryan, I know that you were traveling quite a bit recently. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like run into stuff that like was very American when you were out there? Ooh, very American. Um, like food wise, right? You walk out of this beautiful train station in Paris and like the first thing you see is five guys, burgers and fries. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember when I was um, studying abroad, they put a McDonald's in the Louvre and everyone <laughs> was very angry about yeah. like, this isn't like the Mo- go see the Mona Lisa and then get a Big Mac. And yeah. like, that's like, just didn't mesh. So cultural diffusion is just this spreading of culture. And it's like really interesting. The, 
America is either really good or really bad at it, depending on how you view it. Like mm-hmm. we do a lot of cultural diffusion, especially through media, Hollywood. Um, it's yeah. actually really interesting. You know, not many people here can name a South African movie, but if you go to South Africa, everyone knows all the like Marvel movies. Yep. And so we kind of like export a lot of culture through this. And so if you go to, you know, South Korea, people know who Justin Bieber is. Mm-hmm. And that's, kind of strange and so cultural diffusion is just this spreading of culture through this kind of like geographic focus um and it's not just coming from america i mean i'm very thankful for the fact that we can get good vietnamese food in kansas city which is (laughs) not something that was possible 50 years ago or even like 20 years ago probably yeah um so that's just this diffusion of culture there's also cultural transmission though which is very easy to get twisted up between this because transmission is the the movement of culture from one person to the next but it's not necessarily this like spreading geographic thing a lot of times when people are thinking about cultural transmission they're thinking more of along the lines of like you know i'm a cherokee elder and i'm teaching my children to speak cherokee and that's not really diffusion because it's not like spreading around the globe and now everyone in singapore you know speaks cherokee mm-hmm. but So it's not diffusion, but it is transmission. You are still spreading this culture from one person to another. And so, you know, differentiating those can be very, very tricky as well. Diffusion versus transmission. Um, And, you know, combine that with cultural lag. You know, we start to have a lot of terms that relate to culture just kind of overall. Is there a specific between diffusion and transmission? Is there specific impact that has to be made so let's let's say uh the that one person is spreading how to speak a language to a small community versus just a child like where do you draw the line between transmission and diffusion that's a very good question um to the point where i don't think the mcat's gonna ask in that sort of scenario because that starts to tread a line that's a little bit confusing now if they might give you something like they teach it to one person and that person goes to japan and starts to teach a community there i think that's a little bit more clearly cultural diffusion because we have this kind of like geographic spreading but um those those kind of like fringe cases that are kind of like on on the fence um the mcat isn't necessarily trying to trick people up like oh you know it's it's one thing if it's 24 people but it's something else (laughs) it's 23 people yeah um they're more interested in just like do you have like a good grasp on that okay so we also have ethnocentrism and cultural relativism so ethnocentrism is judging a culture based on your own views And cultural relativism is the opposite of that. That's when you understand what's going on from somebody else's point of view. And so if I was very ethnocentric, then I would, let's say I would go to India and I would look at people like they're revering cows. And I'm like, how can you revere cows? They're made of hamburgers, right? Like that's like, so they're made of hamburgers, right? (laughs) I I think you have those flipped. (laughs) Yeah. I, I like I like grew up on a cattle farm, right? Like somebody not eating cattle and keeping those pets kind of, that's so backwards and wrong. Um, but if somebody like ate a dog, like that would, that would hurt me to the core and I would judge them and like, right. Yeah. That's, that's the most evil thing that anyone could do. Go eat that hamburger machine instead. Yeah. Um, and that's a very ethnocentric view where yeah. I'm judging other cultures based on kind of like my own perspective, um, the opposite of that is cultural relativism is understanding and like 
like see coming across on being like, well, that's that's how their culture is. And so they have that sort of viewpoint there. And so you tend not to judge people. You have a cultural relativistic uh, kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And so just looking at these culture terms in general, we got culture lag, culture transmission, culture diffusion, ethnocentrism, and cultural relativism. You know, if you ha- ever have a question and one of these is the correct answer, you can bet that one of the other ones or all of the other ones are going to be the incorrect answers because they all kind of have this tie to culture overall. So learning to, to pull those apart is the important thing. So culture lag, it's technology. Transmission diffusion, this is spreading for one person or like geographically across the globe. Ethnocentrism and cultural relativism are just like, do you judge people or not based on their cultures and based on yours? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Those are some good ones. Anything else that we need to know about 9A here? No, I think that's, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff in 9A, but I think a lot of these tend to make more sense to people things like you know diversity and families uh, yep. marriage and divorce you guys probably have an idea of what that is yeah um and so most of the things tend to make a make sense to people i just like to talk and like focus in on the ones that people are most likely to get kind of confused or the mcat is most likely to take this kind of like tricky approach to okay and as always the the potential recommendation go through these make some flashcards really understand especially for the psych so create your own examples right um like make up your own stories based on things because that stuff sticks with you so much better than definitions i know there's a lot of great like 380 and 150 page documents out there but when you like create your own examples and tie stuff to things that are a part of your life and a part of your environment that stuff sticks with you a whole lot better you can tell me stories about your teachers a whole lot better than you can tell me the definitions those teachers taught you Mm. Um, and that's because stories tend to stick with stuff like if you think back to like high school you can tell me some stories and scenarios from high school but you probably can't tell me that many definitions and so you know even though i guarantee you tried to memorize more definitions in high school than you tried to memorize stories but somehow stories don't stick with you and or definitions don't stick with you and stories do. And so this is why when you're studying, you want to make your own examples, make your own kind of like stories also because that's how the MCAT's going to test it. They're never going to ask you what's the definition for this. What's the definition for that? They're going to give you scenarios. And so by taking that kind of like going through this outline, coming up with scenarios and stories based on all of these one, you're going to remember it better. And two, that's also how the MCAT's going to test it. So it's a better way to study anyway, even if it wasn't a better way to remember it. All right, there you have it. I'm excited to to wrap up the psych social section here in the next few weeks and continue on our journey, helping you master the MCAT. If you are looking for some more help on the MCAT, go to Next Step Test Prep. Check out their course, which they are getting ready to relaunch here in the next month or two. So I'm excited we'll we'll have some more information about that when it comes. But really what Next Step is known for is their full-length exams. Students love their full-length exams and really think they are the second best exams behind the AAMC exams. So if you are looking for some more full-length exams, go to nextsteptestprep.com. Use the promo code MCATPOD. That's all one word, MCATPOD, to save 10% on those tests. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast.
This is MedEd Media.